Hello, I'm Elena DelVal, and this is the HispanicNPR.com podcast. My guest today is filmmaker Carla Legaspi. We will discuss her short film, The Daily War. Welcome, Carla. Hi. Thank you for having me here. The Daily War is one of 13 short films and nonfiction and new short fiction film anthology called The Latino Experience that PBS SoCal and KCET are launching in July of 2021. Is that right? Yes. Tell us, if you would, what is The Daily War about? Ooh, well, The Daily War is a short film. Um, we created it, uh, me and my collaborative partner, Adelina Anthony, who's the writer and also the star of the film. Um, we created it as a pilot and an, uh, an exploration of a series, a TV series that she's developing. Um, and it is about a veteran, um, Chicana veteran, a single mother, and she's just having a hard time surviving and hasn't dealt with her PTSD. So it basically is just a one day in her life. Um, that's, and we, it's a 12 minute film, so. What was that process like? Was this um, Adelina? Is this someone that you have worked with before? Yeah, Adelina Anthony is a fellow. Um, she's also a writer, director, producer, um, actor. She, uh, I've worked with her pretty much ever since she developed her production company, Adelisa Productions. She brought me along with her partner and and another friend. The four of us continuously have been working, making films almost every year. We create a different short. Um, and we also did a feature film. So we've been working at this for about seven years or so. And, um, and yeah, so we've been working together for a while in different capacities. Uh, she produced a movie I wrote and direct and – I help produce a lot of the stuff she does. Um, I do production design for her. We, we just do co consistently collaboration. Uh, we put each other in each other's movies. Uh, so, so yeah, we've been working together for, for, I can't really, I can't, I would say that we met in 20, 2007, but collect in filmmaking, we've been working in, together about almost 10 years now. So. Now, when you say that you've been working on this for seven years, do you mean on the short film, The Daily War, or just that you have been collaborating on and off for, for seven years? Collaborating on and off. The Daily War, uh, we got funded in about two, three years ago, I think, because of the pandemic. It kind of, that, that year doesn't count. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we got funded for the Daily War. We shot it last year before the pandemic hit. And uh, so we've been on this for about two years with this short film. But uh, we've been collaborating on all lots of many other films. We've probably been collaborating on almost about eight different films um, in the past seven years. 
What inspired this topic? Are you a veteran or is she a veteran? Um, neither of us are veterans. Um, what inspired it is our families and our communities. Um, we both have family members that did go through the system of um, the military, the Air Force, uh, Marines, Navy, Army. Um, we had different family members, but we also had people in our community who opened up and shared some of their uh, traumas as queer women um, and some of the issues that they came up with within the military system. That's the other thing. The lead character is a queer woman of color. Um so, you know, we have friends that went through Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We had friends who were assaulted. We have community members who have opened up to us about all different kinds of injustices that they've gone through and traumas. And even friends that are uh, cis male that we know that went through the military who still suffer from PTSD from the wars and from assault. Um, this happens to men and women. So, um, yeah, that's what inspired it. All this collective uh, trauma and and process that folks have came to us and been very vulnerable and open. Um, and so Adelina took a lot of the fiction. She took a lot of the stories that folks told her and fictionalized it into a character that she felt connected with. Um, a single mom, uh, one that's struggling, one that deals with mental health and sexual trauma. So that's the, those are all the different layers that, that she has explored as a writer. And uh, I have the privilege of, you know, putting forth on the screen. Are either of you personally familiar, directly familiar? I, it's an awkward question to ask with this issue of sexual assault that is in the background in the movie? I will speak for myself. I do consider myself a survivor. Um, I do also believe in blood trauma, genetic uh, trauma, and I feel that as women with a history of genocide in our communities, we carry all that, all the all the rape and all the and all the assaults generationally so aside from my own personal experience i feel that i carry my great grandmothers and their great grandmothers um trauma still and 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 the work that we're doing is part of the healing of not just our own personal experiences but those generations you know before us so that the generations in front of us are not able not having to live with with these issues of 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 triggers, which is what the film is about, and having to, like, not function properly because you have this in the back of your mind. You're living with fear. You're living with anxiety. And any moment can shift for you. Um, so, yes, I, I do have personal experiences with that. and and um, But I, I see it as a collective healing as well, and that, that this work hopefully is for not just for me but for others. So essentially the situation that we have is one in which something, I don't want to give up too much, but something in the situation triggers a post-traumatic stress disorder 
react, response in her character. Is that right? Correct. Correct. How would you define the target audience for the film? That's a really good question. <laughs> I would want to think that it's universal because of the different layers of this character. She's so complex, so interesting, but also even for folks that don't identify whatsoever, this person, you know, is a vulnerable population. And so even if you don't identify with this character as an audience, we're still responsible to acknowledge and learn about how folks around us are experiencing this. Um, so I think it's universal. I, I believe that it is. And, and there's, and, you know, there's also a child there and a child who takes a lot of responsibility in how he has to be a caretaker as well. We don't explore that a lot in the short film, but in, in the future episodes, we're definitely going to, a look a lot on how young children become sometimes their parents' caretakers. And I think a lot of folks, if you can't identify with the mom, you could probably identify with the child or identify with the other community members who came to her rescue. Um, so I feel like it is a universal, there's no specific audience. Ideally, we make this film for for women but it's, it, but I I know there's a there's a few men who came to me um, in the developmental stage and just and and told me that they that they identify with the title that their struggle every day the daily war the internal struggle that folks go through folks that deal with mental health issues and folks who deal with trauma and folks who deal with um, PTSD from the war is is very real. Is is the PTSD that you're you seek to portray in the film? Is it the is it born of the sexual assault behind the scenes? I mean, we don't we don't witness that, but it's underlying everything in the film, right? Yes. Or is it born of seeing action during her service? No, the the PTSD specifically in this moment it's related directly to a sexual assault. I, I think, if I understand this correctly, PTSD has now been officially identified as the diagnosis for survivors of sexual assaults, not just survivors of conflict or armed conflict. Is there something you can tell us about that? Uh, no, you're correct. Um, it's definitely a lot of survivors of sexual trauma and rape, um, incest, all of that is triggered. Um, I know for me as a child and as a young woman exploring my own sexuality, I had no clue that I would have just, I didn't, I can't even think about the moments where I was traumatized. It's mostly been like visible for me through triggers. I, and, and I think that I didn't even know this. So, um, I think it is something that most folks are barely finding out about. Um, I think for a lot of folks that were survivors, they didn't have the words for it. And now we have a lot more, you know, access to information. Um, so yeah, I've heard of a lot of folks who, who are survivors who feel like, 
they're just constantly being triggered and they're having that post-traumatic stress. It's, you know, it's, it's hard. How did you, as a filmmaker, approach the subject? Because there's, there's a lot of layers in that short amount of time. There's issues about her parenting and her as, as a survivor. There's, as you just identified to us, issues about her gender identity or her sexual identity and her place in the military. How did you and she approach the subject, especially if this is something that you expect to be developed into a television series? Um, I think that Adelina and I have a lot of similar politics, and we've known each other for so many years that we kind of see eye to eye in a lot of things. Um, when it came to this theme, we knew we didn't want to show any abuse. We are tired of watching women being abused on film, in, in society, and, and just in general. We don't want to romanticize these, these themes. I feel like a lot of male directors do that. And we had a lot of feedback from men saying we need to see more. And that's, something that we both decided we weren't going to do. Um, so I think in restraining, a lot of beautiful things can come out of that. Holding back from showing too much actually isn't just healthy for folks who have experienced this to watch, but also like to start deconstructing the way we see images of women and how we how we find subtleness in, in, in these, and that's how we explore, exploring those themes and exploring how we held back actually made it a lot more beautiful and powerful in my, in my opinion. Um, so I think that that's how we, uh, went about it. And even, you know, the child and how she rears her child and, and in reality, it, you know, we cut out a lot of, of, of things from this short film. Um, there's a lot of ways in which the child was a caretaker to the mom as well. Um, and I think it, single moms end up developing those relationships with their kids. Um, and not that it's a bad thing, because I think it's important to show children responsibility at a young age, um, especially when you're a parent in need. Um, you know, I don't I don't see anything wrong with that, but. Yeah, those, that is how we, we approached it. We approached it in, like, how do we hold back from showing and reliving trauma and, and finding subtleness in moments and visuals, um, even with the queerness, right? We don't really show anything. We don't say anything. We try to find moments that will bring that information to the audience that it's supposed to bring that information to. It's yeah. part of the series titled The Latino Experience. In what way do you think of the film or do you think of the film as part of that series? Well, when we submitted for the grant, it was called the Latin X Experience. <laughs> it was not called the Latino Experience. Um, I do understand and acknowledge the umbrella 
that the words like Hispanic, Latino are in, in society, I feel as a progressive person and as a person who um, is part of the, because I respect my non-binary community, the Latinx uh, community, um, I don't identify with any of those words, but I think that the umbrella of it, um, you know, the character is Chicana. She, even the way she speaks, um, gives it a Texas uh, accent, you know. So there's a lot to explore in that. Um, she is Chicana, but based on the umbrella terms, um, that is, you know, that is the, and she's staying in a Latino community. She's in East L.A., uh, which is primarily Mexican um Mexican immigrant, Mexican-American community here in L.A. So it's very specific to a community. Um, does it represent or speak to Latinos everywhere? I'm sure it doesn't. And that's okay. Uh, I'm sure it speaks to maybe some white folks more than it does to some Latinos, and that's okay. I I don't want to put these characters in a box because also the child is, um, you know, biracial, um, he's white, half white, half, you know, so, and, and that's the other thing when we talk about, like, who we are as people who are mixed, um, due to genocide and violence, um, I think about, uh, you know, these characters are all, you know, indigenous, Mexican, and European, because that's what, you know, mestizos are, and so it looks different on screen because uh, also my characters are white passing. Um, and that's the other thing that we wanted to, you know, my mother asked me a question. She said, so your characters are look white to me, <laughs> she said. And does that mean that white people get discriminated as well, she said. And I said, I don't know. I don't care. If white people get discriminated, they're not going to get discriminated in the same way poor, unhoused folks like my characters are being discriminated against, unless they are. How many veteran, white veterans don't we see on the side of the road? It, this is also a testament to, like, poverty. Poor, poor people, no matter what they look like, get treated worse. You could be a person of color and and have the wealth and status where you have a lot less discrimination and you could be a white person on the side of the road and get treated like you you deserve to be there that's the mentality of folks in contemporary society right now we see people who are in need and we say you know a lot of folks say oh there's a reason why they're there we're not thinking of the post-traumatic stress we're not thinking about the trauma. We're not thinking about in unjust system. But if we really think about, like, even though my characters are white passing Latinos, you know, they had, there are opportunities where, like, I, I don't even want to tell you some of the stories. I want to, like, pinpoint the stories and tell you, but I feel like I'm going to give away the story. <laughs> so there are moments in the film where she does get away with being a light-skinned person. You know, she does get a job on the spot. That white privilege is shown in my film, you know, 
So there is a lot of ways in which people who might not identify, you know, with her queerness or with, you know, we all have to acknowledge our, our privileges as, as people, I think, in this nation, especially in this nation, in the U.S. Tell us a little bit more about that. Where are those lines? Because this is always subject of great uh, discussion and controversy and debate. There is no race that is Latin or Latinx or Latino or Hispanic. It doesn't exist. People from that ethnicity can be of any race. More importantly, it's all about how you perceive yourself, how you identify. So where do you see those lines? In regards to the film, like where do I, I like, the, well, the lines are very blurry. <laughs> exactly. I've, I've heard you say several times, for example, that she is Chicana and that right. was filmed in East L.A., which is a Mexican-American, an immigrant community. Um, etc. But for those people who are watching the film and who are not in that area, that's not immediately apparent. And mm-hmm. as I watched the film, I just saw so many things, so many layers. And to me, the thing that was most striking, it was a difficult film to watch because there was so much pain. I felt pain for her. I felt pain for the little boy who's just a ray of sunshine as Mm -hmm. an aside. Mm -hmm. And those other things, they were in the background. But as we're talking about it, they seem to be a very powerful driver for the two of you. So as I'm saying, tell us a little bit more about what you were seeking to convey there and, and why it's so important to you. Uh, and we're talking still about the identification of Chicano Latino within the East LA community, right? If this is what you're seeking to convey in the well, film. I feel like I, I grew up in East LA. Um, I lived there for about I don't know, 20, 30 years, 20-something, 30 years. Um, No, I think more. I think on and off. I I grew up there my whole life. I was there for the first 20-something years of my life. And then I've gone back and forth to move in the surrounding areas. Um, We are diverse. We are all shape and color. Even if you go into my family's house, we're a spectrum. And that is the beauty, I think, of our communities. Um. What I tried to convey wasn't anything to do with those identities. Um, I, you know, the lead actor is the writer of the film and producer. So, you know, and she did a brilliant job. Um, and the little boy, we, we auditioned tons of little boys. And when I first met Mateo and I first saw him, deliver his lines and his in his objection of his objectives I was blown away by him he was brilliant and then I would ask him to do modifications and he was able to ship you know everything that I would ask him to do directorially um and so we did we were trying to showcase um 
a child who had that kind of spectrum of chops like he does. And so, you know, and I feel like, I, I hate to say this, but the the other characters in the film, I feel like we, they're all parts of community members that I know and love in my, in my own personal life. And these are all actors that I know and love in my personal life who are from different communities that I love and support. And so I think that you get a lot of, you get a lot of that in the film that you because because we did use community members as well. So I want to show the full spectrum of like my experience living in my community. Tell us a little bit more, Carla, about that, if you would. This whole concept for people who are not in the industry, you know, we see the final product, but there is a lot of work that goes into even a short film. There are years behind that final product, right? Right. 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 And also it's expensive. <laughs> you would think that a film that's 12 minutes long is a few thousand dollars, but it's actually about 30-something thousand dollars. Um. It's it's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of time. There and also I'm the kind of artist that like I'm not in a rush to finish a project and start the next one. Um, while I we were doing the Daily War, Adelina did like a podcast for Audible. She directed and wrote. She did like directed another movie. She like wrote all kinds of stuff. I was working on set like almost full time um, on other people's projects and, you know, writing my own stuff. So it's like, this is not what we would say, like, let's shoot this for three months and do the whole, I mean, shoot this for, for, you know, the shootings actually only takes three to four days. And it is the preparation for that. And it is the post-production process for that. And also the funding, waiting for the funding, applying for funding. Um, You know, it's a waiting game sometimes, at least for me, because I like to pay uh, my team. Um, I know that a lot of folks who are, like, starting off similar to me um, go and ask for favors. And I – and even though a lot of people take – you know, they do give discounts to us. <laughs> um, it still costs money, and, and I still like to compensate folks. So the, the, the waiting for the grants, the, the applying for the grants, the researching for the grants, the looking for the funding, um, for post-production for this project, I was actually going to do a, a crowdfunding, which I'd done in the past for my films, and I, I've been successful at it. I... Um, I decided not to do that because of the pandemic. I didn't feel like it was fair or right for me to to ask my community for, for support, financial support during such a hard time. So I had to wait for PBS, uh, and they came up with the, Latin, the Latinx grant, which is what I applied for. Um, and so it, it's, it's a process. It's a journey. It, takes, uh, it took us almost two years. Uh, with a lot of breaks in between to finish this film, um, we had to really figure out, uh, get the right folks behind the team. That's the other thing is finding, like, finding the right, like, 
folks to be part of the team is also like, uh, a, you know, it's also hard because you want your team, you want your community, you want, you know, most of my folks in my team are like women, uh, you know, women of color, uh, all in lead role positions, um, queer folks and men of color. So we had a very nice, like, diverse crew. And that's important to me. I want folks to come in to that, that are going to work with me that feel connected to, to the themes of the story, that feel connected to, like, you know, my, my DP, Sylvia Lara, like, it's someone that I had worked with on another project that I produced. And, you know, I loved collaborating with her. And I was excited to have her, you know, be our cinematographer. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it takes a process to even just develop your team. How many people many were people involved were in the involved? making of the film? Whew. Um, for production, it was probably about 30 of us. That's not including the extras. And then we had post-production was about 15 of us. Um, yeah, and then, you know, a lot of community members came through for us, people brought, like, water and, like, snacks and, you know, like, helped us out on set just to, like, be an extra, be of support. Um, I like to keep my crews small because it's easier, if I'm producing, it's easier, if I'm directing and producing, it's easier for me to, like, manage, um, and that's the hard part for me. As a, as a director, I, I want to have the luxury of just direct, but it's really, really hard sometimes when, you know, hiring producers is not, is not, it's not easy. But also, like, making sure that you trust that they're going to do things the way you want to do things and have the kind of respect and rules, because we have a lot of rules on our set. We have a lot of rules. We don't, we don't tolerate trans phobia, sexism, racism, we, we come in and, and for us, our production is a ceremony. We don't just shoot something. We like are intentional about everything and everyone that's in our team. The set that you have in the film includes a vehicle how did you go about procuring the vehicle? Is this does it belong to you? Tell us a little bit about that. That was the hardest thing. We had to push the shoot a few times because we could not like get a that car. We couldn't we couldn't find a, a recreational vehicle. Uh and so it was really difficult. Finally, thank you, Facebook. <laughs> And community, because I'm the kind of artist that, like, I reach out. I have a lot of friends, a lot of community members, and a lot of filmmakers in, in my in my network. And I just reached out and, and asked who I can rent a recreational vehicle that wasn't new. Um, and so we, I had a friend whose partner, um, my friend Monica Avila's partner, had been to have one. And like to travel in it and it was perfect and we were so grateful because you know to, to also know that like you know obviously they gave us a deal but to also know that our funding goes to like uh, a queer couple um that that stuff is always exciting to know that like our community is part of this 
making of this film. Um, so yeah, that was a challenge. But it was also like when the when the blessing came, we knew it was like okay, this is meant to be. And now we and and the fact that it was part of a that it was a community member that would let us go in and look at it and 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 take pictures before so that we knew how to decorate and we knew how to like you know that we knew that the kinks uh all that stuff is always exciting um to be able to like because if you're renting something from like an actual prop um car uh business you get charged for every single little time you go visit the car <laughs> you don't it's not something that like a friend's going to say yeah come over and take pictures if you know don't worry no worries you know it's just a different kind of relationship. It says in the promotional materials that this was a co-production with a Latino public broadcasting LPB. What does that mean? Oh, man. Latino public broadcasting is our main producer funder. They have basically supported and funded almost every single one of our short films that we've done. Um, they are basically the backbone of and, and the love and support that we have received. I This is the second film that I've made that they fund. And they're not just a funding source. They're a, like a support source. They give the best feedback. They're, they, there's zero pressure on um they want to really really focus on elevating the artists uh during the pandemic i had a few grants with different organizations and they're the only ones that checked in on me reached out to me and said what can we do for you don't worry about the film right now take care of yourself and like that kind of like zero, like trust and zero pressure for an artist is so like it's such a relief <laughs> because when someone's giving you money to make something, you know, you have them like right here <laughs> and LPB is not like that. They're, they're very supportive and they're very loving and encouraging. And I've noticed that in the past few years, and I encourage all my friends every year to apply for their grants. Uh, they've been, they've also really big in supporting like queer artists. Um, and that like I'm in depth, with them for life because they they go out of their way in in so many ways to to be that support that filmmakers really need um so yeah lpv is i think they've been doing this for a while but i think my film gold star the one that i did previous to the daily war was one of the first ones that had queer content and after that all the gay folks came in and and now are making amazing films with them. So I'm super grateful for that. Latino public broadcasting is like the best. <laughs> it costs you about $30,000 to produce the film. And you got funding support from Latino public broadcasting and from PBS SoCal. Is that right? Uh, correct. So Latino public broadcasting um, supported us with the new media grant. And then I was looking for post-production fundings, and PBS opened up a new – so it's PBS, um, the the main headquarters in Virginia, that I believe did this call for submissions. 
and so yeah, I got funding from both of them, and I'm and so if folks are interested, uh, I think Latino Public Broadcasting has their annual grant. I think they just closed, um, but you know, next year it gives you time to prepare. They also do a documentary grant, and I think they have a new one. It's called New American Grant. Not really familiar with it, but look it up on their website, and then they have the new media grant, which is usually goes online. Um, because PBS, because I got the post-production grant from PBS, my film will not be going online right away. It's doing the broadcast, and then it's going to do the film, film festival circuit. And then if LPB wants to put it online, that's they have the right to do that because it's under our contract. So what was that process like? Because grant funding can be incredibly onerous depending on what where you're directing your efforts and frustrating and time consuming uh, tell us a little bit more about that if you would the the actually the latino public broadcast um grant application i feel is is not very time consuming i think the most important part of the application to me and the most is is the is the treatment so they want to know what you envision. Um, they want to know your style of filmmaking. So you have to submit a script, a budget, and then in the budget they tell you their grant is up to from twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. Then if your your film is going to cost more, you do another section where you just write in kind, but you know eventually you can find funding for that other other part of you know to finish the film um the treatment part i think is the most important it's also the most exciting because you start like it's kind of like pre-production you start developing in your head what do you want to do what are the visuals you want to do and then you also start like i i mean i went out and started taking pictures of things that i felt interesting images that i wanted um and that's and you basically put all that in your treatment and, you know, and you just hope that they love it. <laughs> but I I think that that's the most important thing. So it, it does take a while, but it doesn't, it's not any harder than any other grant. I think it's actually, um, yeah, it's, it's, sens- it's sensitive to the, your time. It doesn't, it doesn't take, you know, weeks like other grants do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, you know, it's a probably a, if you have a script completed, it shouldn't take more than three days to, to gather all the different things you want. How much fundraising did you have to do once you had those two grants, the LPB and the PBS grants? Did you have to spend a lot of energy getting additional funds? Um, for when I had to shoot the film, uh, my brother – uh, let me borrow some money and gave me some money to com- so that I was able to take care of like my team and to take care of like the expenses because I use I worked with SEG actors um, I, and I realized that's a pattern <laughs> so I use union actors so there's a lot of extra fees that you have to pay the union or for the retirement all the different things that go into that um, so. Somehow, like, 
I always end up spending a little more than I expect. And also the insurance uh, to shoot a movie is, is pricey. So all those things are, are things that don't directly go into the film. Um, so I had to, I did a borrow money from family. <laughs> and um, my brother was very generous. He said, yeah. And, and, you know, and as I was paying him back when I was getting, because also the funding doesn't come just straight. Like they don't give you the the full amount. They give you parts in, in sections. And so to shoot a movie in LA with, you know, with with uh, with SAG actors, with um, location fees in different parts of the city, permits, insurance, all that adds up. And and so then I was able to pay him back. Uh, but you know, at the end of the day, he was like, "Don't worry about it." So there was some funding that was presented from you know my family that they were able to help and support, and I appreciate that. Because I don't think that the film would have had the same quality and experience if I wouldn't have been able to have that extra support. But usually, so for this movie, I think it's only like 2000 that was like out of pocket. Uh, I would say out of pocket. Um, but I know other filmmakers that have had to really, really spend like a lot of money out of pocket. You know, there's also an insurance that we have to pay for that's like almost $3,000 just to, that's part of our grant requirements. And like a lot of folks end up having to, to pay that out of pocket. And so I, I didn't, I didn't really have to do that because of the additional funding from PBS. But for Gold Star, my other film, I was able to raise like $13,000 in like a week and a half, uh, through like, um, through a crowdsource. So, I mean, it's possible. You can do it. You must have had a very compelling subject. For Gold Star? Yes. Uh, it's basically a story about a little girl who has a crush on their teacher. She's, we don't know if she's gay or not. It's not really told in the story, but I think as little kids, Kids always have crushes on their teachers, and so she dedicates a love song to her teacher, and she gets in trouble in school. And then it brings up the hidden homophobia of her mother and who's best friends with a gay woman. Um, so it triggers this this hard conversation. But at the end of the movie, like, the little girl finds her best friend who supports her and loves her and says, hey, you're free to sing whatever you want to sing. Like, at the end of the day, like, this is your voice. And if, even if people stop you, like, sing right now. You don't need an audience. Like, just be free. And so that's the end. It's it's a really cute movie. It won an award um, with PBS uh, a few years back. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of people, a, a lot of folks in my community just came out hard for this for this film. They They donated money. They... They voted for it. They spread the word. Like, Gold Star was, like, a very community-based movie. Um, and we had a lot of beautiful artists that, that's, you know, I have, we have a, a singer. Her name's Rocky. She, um, she, she wrote the song. She did the composition. And I was just listening to it the other day, and I, I told her, I'm like, you're so talented, and your voice is so beautiful, and I'm so happy that, you know, Gold Star captured that for her. 
So yeah, we it was definitely a community film, and it it also looks gorgeous. It's a beautiful film. Yeah. This seems like clearly it's more than work. This seems like a passion, not a way to make a living, and certainly not a way toward wealth. Maybe I'm wrong. What what drives you? <laughs> Is it really fame and fortune? Not for me. I hate doing these interviews. <laughs> I hate like I feel like I'm always subconscious about it, but I know it's important for the work. Um, uh, fame and fortune. I know if my partnership, uh, my collaborative partner Adelina was here, she would say no. <laughs> for me, I know that these are steps for bigger opportunities in my work. Um, I'm not going to say that that has happened yet, but I do know in terms of like wealth and fame, I'm not looking for fame, but I would love to make a living doing what I do, um, like a nice living, because I know that I deserve that. Um, as a person who who works hard in in developing these stories, and these are years of work. I mean, some of these stories that we are finally bringing forth are years of writing and, and researching and developing and exploring within, and it's not something that we just kick off and say, hey, this week I'm going to write the best story in the world and start shooting it next month when I get funding. Like, it's not – we're not there yet because we all have other jobs. I'm working on other people's movies all the time. And when we're working on set, we're working 12, 14, 16-hour days. So you don't come home to work on your personal stuff as if I had an 8 to 5, you know, 8 to 5 job or nine, whatever, whatever schedules people have now. <laughs> Um, it's definitely, um, a passion, a passion. You have to have that commitment. You have to want, it has to be bigger than you really. At the end of the day, it has to be bigger than you, the purpose, because if not, yeah, you're not going to get rich <laughs> right away. Um, some people might, I don't know. I haven't met anyone yet that has. <laughs> How will you know in the case of the daily war, how will you know if you have succeeded? Is it just completing the short film? Is it the reaction of the public? What is your goal or what are your goals? I feel like I have succeeded in completing it. The completion of a film takes a lot of time, a lot of nights you don't sleep, a lot of doubts. Is this right? Is this the right way of doing it? That in itself, having a finished product, whether you're happy with it 100% or not, is a, it's a success. Now, having a platform like PBS broadcasting it is another success. Having, you know, we already have invites to festivals. I see all those little moments as successful moments, whether now – Ideally, having someone come to you and tell you that your work shifted and changed something inside of them, it's the biggest reward. Um, I don't think there's anything better than that. I feel 
shifting hearts, like changing minds, even your hardest critics, people, you know, I, I think about my brother who is, who I don't know if he loves my work. My other brother who was in the military, I think about what his reaction is going to be when he sees this. My nephew who's in the Marines right now, how they would feel if, and if they don't even want to see it. That's the other thing, like, but if they do choose to see it and it does touch them and makes them feel connected in some way, then of course that those are the biggest, you know, you always want, you always want your family to be, um, encouraging and loving. And of course, you know, I think that when we do show it to veterans, uh, because we are planning on doing a private screening for folks, um, I think, how they feel about it, I think is going to be the best and the most important, you know, reward out there. What's next? Well, <laughs> um, I have to complete another project that I started during pandemic. Um, it's a, another honoring, um, it's a story of a friend who shared with me, uh, their gender journey and, um, so I have to finish that project. Uh, it's called Dear Dad. And then I have three feature films that I'm writing right now, and I'm hoping that, you know, I'm able to submit those in time for Screenwriters Lab. So so the process of making, like, ideally for me, I, I feel like I'm ready to make my feature film. I have three films to pick from, and I have a TV series that I'm developing as well. But in order for our work to be seen, and for, in order for folks to be interested in funding this work, we have to go through a series of treatments and labs in order for us to get exposure. So aside from these short films being a great asset to our skills and what we're able to bring to the table, um, for me, I I want to get my, my feature done. Um, uh, I think I have two of them that are – close in the, in the development stages. One of them's called Marisol and the other one's called My Name Is. And I feel like My Name Is is closer and easier to to fund, to get funding for because it is uh, and, and I realize that I'm really exploring fantasy right now in my work and in my writing. So even though I do want to showcase like and, and it's funny because both of these films are children's like the lead actors are children, and I notice that all my writing is all children uh, focused. Uh, but they're like, it's basically stories of fantasies that little kids go through in order for them to survive hard moments and hard experiences or the environments in which they live in. And um, so I don't know that that's my that's my personal next step. I know that um, my other team members and collaborators on this film have some awesome projects coming on so folks can follow Aderisa Productions to find out what they're doing and then Kitsa Productions to find out what we're going to be developing as well. Um, those are the probably, so that's what I'm excited about in terms of development. But a lot of that has to do with like taking time off and really, really writing because like I said, I can't do 14-hour days at work and then come home and then try to be creative and try to find inspiration. 
Um, so taking that kind of time off, uh, which I'm trying to hopefully do right now this in the next few weeks, um, to really develop those scripts and hopefully we'll have a feature production very soon. <laughs> That's my goal. But definitely the funding is always what what is what takes the longest, and hopefully that changes soon. A lot of people think that they have a book that they want to write or a film or a documentary that they want to make. I can imagine that some of our listeners are thinking that they want to try this path that you have followed, this passion that you have. What what would you say to them for those who are listening to us who want to try to, to be work in screenwriting or filmmaking or even acting in any of the parts sound? What can you tell us? I say go do it. No. <laughs> um, I think it's important uh, to I don't I don't discourage anyone from being creative. I, I I applaud anyone, especially if they're parents, you know, especially if they're married and have all this responsibility at home and their job. Like it's hard work. I don't I'm not a parent. I have no idea. My 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 dog feels like a like a child to me, but I know it's not the same thing. Um, so it is work. Also, what is the rush? You know, you could start slowly. Um, I think it was, I, I, I like to follow and listen to writers because writers are like very, um, inspirational. And a lot of them say they have to wake up at three in the morning to do their work. Right, right, right. And start their day at five or six. So they give themselves a time period of, um, three hours to to find that those those stories and those moments um and that's for writing i i would say just do a little bit every day try to focus on it if it's really what you want to do do it don't put a don't also don't put don't be so hard on yourself i think as artists we live in a society where we want to just have everything instant fast 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 and sometimes it's also about the journey of of how you develop this work um, because there's so much to learn in, in, the, in that, in that, in that, in that process. And I say, go for it. I say, write your book, make your movie, do your documentary and um, learn how to crochet or whatever, whatever it is that that's going to help you. Because also like as humans, we need to have something else besides the daily hustle. Um, you know, and some people, Will, if, if, you know, I think there's a lot of different reasons why people want to create art. Um, and so I say go for it. <laughs> Do they need to be in, based in L.A.? Historically, you really couldn't make it, certainly in, in some of those areas that we've discussed, if you weren't in the area. I remember seeing even a program uh, for diverse writers or trying to seek out diverse writers. And one of the requirements was that you had to live there or move there in order to participate. Is that still a fundamental part of that? I don't think so. Um, I think that there's a lot of great work being done outside of L.A. I think that if you find your community – uh, of folks, because I think it's hard to do this by yourself. I'm not saying it's impossible, 
I think it's, it's, I just think it's nicer to have collaborate, collaborate, collaborative partners. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that you can do art anywhere. I think that look at what Georgia is doing. Atlanta is like huge film industry hopping and like, you know, making good money, you know, having great shows go there. Um, you have, you know, New York doing great stuff, Florida doing great stuff. You have outside of New York, Boston, you know, I have friends that travel all over the nation doing projects all over the nation. Uh, there is, you know, you will find folks with those skills anywhere. Um, I mean, I don't know about Alaska because I've never been there or heard of anything, but in the States, I think it's definitely uh, something that you can start. And also technology right now is getting so advanced that if you wanted to explore something, you don't have to go out and rent or buy this expensive equipment. Um, start small. If, you know, if you want to tell a story right now, iPhone, people are shooting stuff with iPhones. And um, so I think that the possibilities right now in terms of filmmaking or documenting anything that has to do with camera and sound or even like audio, like right now, a lot of people are doing um, like radio plays. I'm fascinated by that right now. And folks are doing this in their closets, you know, <laughs> and, you know, recording in their closets. They're not having to rent out big spaces. And I, and I find, I find that fascinating. So I think that you don't need all the money in the world if you're starting off and you want to just put some work out there, just do it. Are there any particular suggestions where they, those people who are curious who want to learn about these possibilities or people who might be interested in becoming a part of a project, not necessarily by becoming filmmakers or screenwriters, et cetera, but maybe by seeding some of the money through their company as a sponsor or at an individual level, what um, what options might be available? How can they find out more? So for artists, um, if you want to learn actual techniques, I've heard of a lot of people learning things on YouTube. <laughs> um, a lot of folks learn how to work cameras, how to work sound systems. And then once you learn the specs, you practice to perfection your craft. Because obviously it's not something, when you're paying a cinematographer, you're paying for their skills and their experience. Um, but you can develop those. There's also courses you can take at a community college or trade schools. Um, there's also... I think organizations right now that are doing, if they're young people, it's harder when it's people my age <laughs> because there's not a lot of opportunities for folks in their 40s. There, there isn't a lot of opportunities to learn cinema, to learn camera work, to learn story development. Like a lot of things are targeted to young folks, and that's, that's great. So people my age are resorting to, you know, online I think Sundance has a, a few master classes that they actually, if you requested and you didn't have the money to pay for them, I have a feeling Sundance, you know, if you just shoot them an email and say, hey, hey I really want to learn how to do this, but I don't have the money to attend your course, 
can I attend? I am positive that these organizations will give waivers to artists, especially if they're under part of like the Latino community or underrepresented communities. Um, and also, if you're looking to get sponsorship from companies, um, companies are open to giving money and donations and product placements and things like that. So that's a whole different conversation. Uh, I know that it's possible. I have never tried it, um, but I've always thought about it. I'm not. I think you need a really good person with a lot of really good social skills and that they're able to tap into, like, the business community um, who can just be authentic and say, hey, this is what I'm working on. I think your product would look great on this. Can you pay me to put it on this if you have a lot of followers? Those are all ways in which young folks are have been able to get funding for some of their projects. So, you know, I think it's, a, it's worth a try if, if that's the route folks want to take. And the Daily War, uh, the subject of our conversation today, is going to premiere on the Latino Experience, as part of the Latino Experience series, 9 p.m. on Tuesday, July the 20th. Is that right? Correct. And it's the 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you're in the other coast, then it's like, you know, check check exactly where... You can also save it, I think, on your PBS app or something. I'm actually not very familiar, like, because it's saying it's a broadcast, but I'm like, I don't have cable. I use apps only. So I saved it on my PBS app on my, um, on my, uh, what is it, Amazon, whatever, Fire Stick. So hopefully I'm able to see it. <laughs> so I think that the, the, the best way is just watching it on if folks have cable or TV, um, they're able to just watch it. Um, if not, I'm going to try to stream it, uh, but I haven't heard anything about it yet. So 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the 20th, and then also on the 21st at 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Is that right? I think that's a different program. So it, so the the – the, the, Latinx, the Latino experience, sorry, I, I'm still stuck with the original name. <laughs> the Latino experience series, like, started yesterday, last night. And so they showed a few films, and then I guess they're going to show some today. And then next week they're showing some on Tuesday, and then they're showing some on Wednesday, same time. But it's not – but I think the film, The Daily War, is only going to be showing on the 20th as part of that that day's program. And after that, if people are listening to us and it's after July, where can they watch your film? At a festival near you. No, I'm, I'm submitting to a few festivals. We already got an invite to one um, in L.A., and so we don't have – I don't think I can make the announcement yet, but if you follow me on Kitzel Productions, K-I-T-Z-O Productions, um, we'll be, you know, letting folks know when are the times that folks can catch, you know, when it's coming to – I don't think it's going to be, like, online or broadcast again for a little bit because we do want to experience the, the festival circuit. Carla, thank you for joining us from Los Angeles, California. 
Thank you. And to our audience, you have been listening to filmmaker Carla Legaspi, who discussed her short film, The Daily War. To propose a guest for the show, you can email me directly at editor at hispanicmpr.com. That's editor at hispanicmpr.com.